and starting at the top of the head. Just gently scanning down through the body. A nice even pace as you scan down from head to toe. Just noticing the different sensations as you scan down what feels comfortable and what feels uncomfortable. What is up? Welcome to Top of the Head, episode number five. I thought that would be a uh, fitting way to start this. Before we get into the topic today, I just wanted to first start by kind of addressing the elephant in the room and uh, the fact that the last time we spoke, the last time you heard my voice, um, the world was a little bit different. So I just wanted to reach out and say, um, you know, sending love and wishes of health and safety for everyone's family um, in this crazy, crazy time. Um, I think if I've seen anything, it's the community stories that I've seen of people coming together, a sense of community, a sense of love and, and really realizing that we're all one body you know, whether we're a bartender or a service industry worker or a CFO or a CEO at a high level company, we're kind of all one in this scenario. Um, and I don't mean that to sound trite. It's just, that's kind of what we have to cling on to. So I wanted to address that, um, right off the bat and Mike and I are sending you guys love, but I also want this episode to be a diversion this conversation that you're going to hear and the song, mostly the song and mostly the conversation we did before this coronavirus stuff really hit hard um, in our nation and in Mike's land in Germany as well. But now we are in the thick of it. Um, I think if there's anything positive that can come out of this is I find myself being more creative because I'm stuck in the house and, and doing the shelter in place. And I think some great things can come out of that. One other thing I wanted to share before we get into the topic today is just another clip. This has been relaxing me other than the meditation that you heard there from Headspace at the top. James Taylor has a new book out, uh, audible book that's free. I would highly recommend it. That guy's voice is just so soothing and calming and he has a new record out as well. Um, Even if you're not super into folk music. I think you'll find it enjoyable. There's some really interesting things. Um, it's the, his first 21 years. And I found this excerpt that I thought was so fitting, um, for this time as well that we're all going through. And I don't think he recorded it knowing about the coronavirus either, but I think it's, it's fitting. I think we're starting to notice all these things the same way that after a funeral or after a death of somebody, you start noticing things the birds seem to be chirping in a different way. You seem to be seeing things or recognizing, feeling a presence of something. I think that's in this scenario too. So here's that excerpt from James Taylor. Perhaps art happens when the usual channels are not available and we have to find a new path forward. Sometimes in describing that new pathway, we open a door that is useful to other people too. So I just thought that was so poignant creating art to come together. You're seeing that in musicians doing concerts, live streaming from home. Um, we're, Mike and I are going to continue to do this, again, to offer some kind of diversion or a chance for us all to come together and feel united. So so the topic for today is substance and sacrifice. Uh, Mike and I had this conversation in probably about a month ago um, when we first started it. Um, we did a, the first kind of walk and talk. Mike was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, 
for business and he was walking around Whitnell Park and I was here in my home studio and we had the conversation and it was kind of sparked from the sacrifices we were doing um, whether it was I had you know stopped uh, drinking alcohol for the entire month of January we were doing these intermittent fasts and we were kind of just talking about sacrificing that and I was remembering Mike being straight edge when he was a kid um, so no drugs no alcohol no anything um, if you know anything about straight edge and we were kind of exploring that and kind of the weirdness around he was also diagnosed with severe ADHD which at the time he was taking Ritalin for so it was a weird kind of juxtaposition between those two things that got us kind of thinking. And then sacrifice, we started talking about my parents and how I grew up and the sacrifices both of our parents had made. And we eventually decided to also have a guest on this episode, which was my dad, which was pretty cool because my dad is who I learned how to play drums from uh, when I was very young. So we had a re- I had a really cool conversation with my dad in this episode too about substance and sacrifice and... Ultimately, we ended up using samples and ideas from a song that my dad recorded in the 60s in his first band when he was um, really young in, in his teen years called The Fastbacks. And Mike and I are super proud of the song. So you're going to hear first Mikey and I doing a walk and talk about substance and sacrifice. Then you'll hear um, me and my dad exploring the topic. And then you're going to hear the song that we came up with, as usual, from both conversations. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. I hope this provides a little bit of escape. Again, sending love, well wishes, health, uh, love all you guys. And thank you, as always, for listening. Here we go. Episode number five, Substance and Sacrifice. Feel it sucks. the top of my head. And where's it coming from? From the top of his head. And where's it coming from? Right on the top of his head. Where's it coming from? What's up, Mikey? Yo, Adam. This is our first mobile studio session. So, you know, in our conversation, I thought I just want to kind of be mobile, walking around, because we can do it. So I pulled into good old Whitnell Park, which is close by to where I grew up. And yeah, let's. Where where are you at right now? What do you got going on? I'm just here in the uh, in the office here in Southern California. So you're you're in Wisconsin right now? Yeah, I came back because of spirit of space work that we were doing in Chicago, and then was able to see my dad a little bit and just spend some time at home. So I gotta put this parking pass here in the car, and then yeah, Whitnell. Whitnell Park, that's like right over by I-100. Like, is it right by Whitnell High School? Yeah, exactly. So this is like, this would have been cool, you know, yeah, thinking about like the community and stuff. I'm sure you can picture this really well. Yeah, definitely. So what are you going to do, walk around in the woods there? Yeah, I think actually I'm just, there was a lot of snow and stuff and I don't actually have boots on so i'm just gonna like there's a path that goes around this lake here uh-huh. by the weird nat- nature center uh-huh and we'll just yeah check it out but the sun's actually shining it's it's like gorgeous well it's only been like a week since we since we put up the last podcast i think this is uh this is new record time both of us i think i can speak for myself but um i felt super inspired after we finished that last one how about you yeah no that it was just really refreshing to it was like being in happy hour crew and stuff again, just rocking with Tim in a different way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just fun. And it was just, it felt great to, 
to do that because you just connect with a person on a deeper level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you and I have been talking since we since we put it up, and we kind of already came up with a new topic, right? Yeah, that's we were talking like about lead singers and stuff of bands committing suicide and talking about substance abuse and we all have our own issues with that and me particularly which is kind of like a funny hypocrisy and so yeah I think we're, t- we're talking about substance and sacrifice and you you want to talk about things too with growing up and with your your dad and we said man that was fun with the guest let's let's do it again you know with my dad yeah, for two reasons. Yeah, so today's topic for this episode is going to be, it'll be the first one that's two words, actually, but it's going to be substance and sacrifice. But exactly what Mikey said. So we were thinking about, you know, January, I did this basically dry January, like a lot of people do, because you're coming off the holidays and you find yourself just like eating too much and drinking too much if you drink alcohol and like just because it's there kind of thing and January for me is always a good month to just kind of dry out and recalibrate I guess is the best way to put it and um so I did that and I was just kind of thinking about that and I think you and I were just talking about different different things we were planning to do for the new year different resolutions I guess you would call them or things or just different ways of working out I know you got you're doing the um the zero fasting you know and so we kind of just started talking about the history of substance both with both of us. And one of the things that came off that last conversation is you actually touched on it a little bit about being straight edge. And um, so from a substance standpoint, you've always had an interesting relationship with substance, whether we're talking about drugs or alcohol or even medication. Because when I first met you, you were what's called straight edge. Um, so what made you go into that and where did that come from? Well, <clears throat> since we've been, you know, talking more on a regular basis and thinking about podcasts and you've introduced me to the comedy of Pete Holmes and his podcast of You Made It Weird, all the stuff that Pete Holmes talks about of growing it up as a Catholic and dealing with those issues and just kind of becoming an adult, like that's a reason that I think that didn't work for him. But for me, straight edge was a natural cop out (laughs) for me to deal with being a cool kid striving to, to just like fit in and to do things my way, but still keep the wholesome (laughs) family values. shall we put in quotes, you know, of being straight edge and having, you know, not having sex until you're married and, I don't know, that was like in, in it was a, a a movement that came while we were kids and it was cool it was hardcore music the band Minor Threat you know in New York they had this hardcore scene and basically when you were going to underage shows you know people put X's on your hands so that the bartenders knew not to serve you alcohol because it was a different time then where everyone could still go to these shows and they didn't want to serve alcohol so then that got known as straight edge because it was just like these strong these lines and you lived your life from a to b you didn't take drugs you didn't do that stuff but the whole time that this was all happening in the ninth grade i was being diagnosed kind of later in the game as adhd and you know attention deficit disorder and so the whole time i'm taking this, like, I'm not going to do drugs and 
thinking about, you know, being a vegetarian and just kind of orientating myself that I'm taking basically amphetamines. Like I was taking cocaine on a day, on a daily basis. And, you know, and it's funny, like now when we think of the danger of prescription drugs, like back then it was all about dare the war against drugs from the Bush administration. And it's totally different. And now we know how dangerous prescription medication can be. And it's just like, I think it's great right now as an adult, I'm still struggling and still sacrificing whether you look at food as a medication, you know, what are you eating? What are you feeding yourself? And with relationships, the sacrifice you make, the, the, the sacrifice you make to fucking fit in society, to take drugs all day so that you can be productive. And this is my life going through this, you know? I mean, that's, it's, it's our friendships, it's my, my relationship with my kids and stuff. So, so basically, like, the long story is, is from while I was a sophomore in high school and to late 20s, or no, actually, like, middle 30s, I was taking some form of Ritalin to just kind of stay concentrated, work, get through college. So how are you, how was that, how was that brought up, Mike? Like what did, was one day, did like the teacher, did the teacher like tell your mom, Hey, Mike's got a problem focusing in class. And then you went, is that, how did that unfold? Yeah, no, I mean, number one, if you know me, you know, probably one of the things that fits in if my eulogy is red Mike does not go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that comes to dealing with too, like early on in my going to school, it took me a long time to get through homework. And my mom was a school teacher. I was an only child. You know, she she took off when when I was first born, and she didn't. Really, she got in as a teaching aide, but she had time to like really be on my ass and make sure I was getting my work done. And so that's where it kind of came from that it was getting out of control where I was like every night staying up to 2 or 3 a.m. working on homework and we just basically went to the, the, the pediatric doctor and said, you know, what's, what is this? And he said, hey, there could be this thing, AD, attention deficit. We can do some kind of screening and then we can do some testing with his teachers where certain days we give him placebo they can see how he's reacting. He can talk about how he's reacting. And then I was diagnosed with it. And then from there all out, that was my deal. Yeah. It's, it, I find it really interesting that like for every moment in time, when you look at the medical industry, um, there's always, there's these weird trends like in, in anything else. It's sad that there's a trend in the medical industry in this, in this fashion, but it's like every decade, there's a new thing that every kid that can't sit still in class has or some new thing you know what i mean it was in the mid 90s that's i think that's when kind of the explosion of add happened like if you go back and ask our parents like hey did this exist back then they'd be like no they just if a kid didn't pay attention like they said shut up pay attention do your homework there was no like psychoanalysis involved you know Well, for real, like, I think as this is the biggest issue, like, what is medicine and who profits from it? You know, like, they've drawn connections to Gerber baby food, to the pharmaceutical companies that sell Ritalin, to, you know what I mean? Like, to to the kids like us, who parents who grew up 
in the 50s with an Eisenhower, like better living through plastic or nu the nuclear family. Right. You know, all these things change society where new problems show up that never existed before because mm. the society was different. Like, and right. so, yeah, I think people, you know, could make money from quick fixes pharmaceutical companies it's the it's the age old thing and it's like over being over prescribed whether with pain medication or whatever depression all these solutions that people think that they can profit with quick fixes by putting out this medication that's that's a big thing that we need to look at before my mom's died she was taking i think between 13 and 15 different daily medications and that is a fucking huge chaotic mess yeah like you know and it's just like one medication causes the other problem and then where do you stop and because doctors time is limited and how they can holistically look at a person like listen maybe you shouldn't go into surgery because you have so many other issues it would cause more damage but yeah the way hospitals are run mm -hmm. people need to perform surgeries and and then it gets out of control really easy yeah, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's so easy to follow the demons when it comes to this stuff. You know, it, it you, you get your all of a sudden you start talking about this for 10 minutes and you're knee deep in conspiracy. You know what I mean? And and it's really hard. It's really hard to determine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of being like overwhelmed and stuff, this is like the point of the hike where I come to the waterfall. <laughs> Can you hear oh, really? that in the background? Yeah, yeah. At least it's uh, not frozen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like there's all these logs hanging there, and you can see uh -huh. the um, like the icicles pouring down from like yeah. the the oh man, it's gorgeous. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but that's like the that's like life. Like we, every single person, is trying to meditate under a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So so yeah yeah. Whatever meditation means to you, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, we're trying to maintain some connection to ourselves, mm -hmm. to who we are, our primitive beings and stuff. And there is a whirlwind of stuff just like crashing on top of us and around us. And well, we're always trying to get back to base level, but it's just it's interesting that like all of these things that we dabble in, whether it's drinking alcohol or or doing recreational drugs or whether hopefully I would never wish anyone to get addicted to painkillers or anything like that. Eventually when that, when that thing sets in, even if it's recreational, a couple drinks here and there, if you think about it, everything we're doing, we're trying to escape from our day to day thoughts. And isn't that, it's just, I just find it funny that everything, all those things are trying to escape from just your homeostasis day to day you know what i mean it's so hard for us to just sit with our thoughts sometimes whether whether they're bad good or bad you know sometimes the the times that i'm not I don't have a substance working even like if i'm not drinking or whatever i'm still seeking out endorphins in some fashion whether it's getting up at five in the morning to go stand up paddling and getting that rush of endorphins to get myself going it's just funny like that we're just as hard as we try to optimize we're we're still just hamsters on the wheel. <laughs> There's no way around it, you know? Yeah, that's how I am. I, or I always catch myself, you know, trying to do so many things at once and not coming to the realization that I'm addicted to being a workaholic. Busy, and yeah. 
Right. A lot of me, a lot of my tendencies, I think from an early age, I had like a really good self-awareness. And that's because maybe part of it from me being so taking amphetamines all the time, like I would freak out and I would get really violent. I mean, you know that from punching me dead in the face when I was chasing you out of the house because of some <laughs> flyer that was not cool on the confusion yeah. show or, or, you know, fights with Sharon I got yeah. or I, I broke a mic stand in half or I, you know, I got taken off the, the bus, the school bus in middle school for fighting and just doing yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. Um, yeah, you're the. I still tell that story to this day. The punching you in the face, people can't believe it. You know, it's you're here to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just got. You just. You just went manic. I mean, yeah, we were, we were at your house on Jefferson Street, Milwaukee. It was like me, you, Russ, and Tim, and then Sharon was there too. We were at your guys' house, and we were going to see the Roots that night at the rave. And like, I don't even know what I said. I said something to you, and then I walked out the door. And you had this screen door and I just remember turning around and you just charged at me with like the reddest face possible. And like you got up in my face and like it was like just a total, like it was just a monkey brain reaction. I just decked you in the face. You fell down <laughs> and like, I just remember Russ and Tim standing there going, oh my God, what just happened? And then you stood up, looked at me and the first thing you said was, Adam, was that your left hand? <laughs> Everybody just started laughing. That was the first thing he said. Oh, God. I can remember that like yesterday. But that's a perfect microcosm of all of those times when you would just get manic. And, I, and it's so scary to think about, like, was that was that a side effect or was that a moment that you weren't on enough medication? It's so hard to like, that's such a blurry line. You know what I mean? We can never know when there is no absolute truth, but that's the, that's the deal. Since I was 16 years old, when I got kicked out of boy scouts, you know, I was like on my way to being an Eagle scout. I got kicked out of boy scouts because at camp long Lake, I cut my friend Mark Crickshank's hand open with a lock knife because he was taking too much candy that was like distributed for me people and I freaked the fuck out and was over him and he put his hand up and it's really cut him bad and I got kicked out and I had to like show proof from the psychologist that I could be around yeah I could go camping again or I could be trusted with a weapon in my hand and stuff and so wow. luckily I I feel that that that's my that was one of my biggest assets is self-reflection and mm -hmm. building up that intuition of understanding how relationships work and how I fit in and even all the crazy stuff I did I lit my hair on fire in class I, or I did tons of crazy stuff but I've always been able to reflect talk about it gain trust from people to acknowledge where I went wrong and so yeah yeah for sure like human contact, the food we're eating, all that stuff is changing things in our brain. And self-awareness is the only way that can regulate it. You know, so that's why I knew how obsessive and compulsive I was. For me, I was scared as hell to not know my boundaries. Like imagine if, if I right. really got into being an alcoholic or just like totally stoned all day. Straight edge was my way right. to just say, listen, that's not for me. I needed a strong, um, something to break free from that so that I could buy time until I figured myself out. And since then, you know, I lost my mm -hmm. virginity when I was 24 years old, 
with Amalia right. because she said, right. hey, wh- who do you think you are? Like, are you in love with me? Are we are we in love? And I'm like, that's part of it. And like, you're, you're just a hypocrite. You're, you're copying out of that. Like, you're basically not allowing me. You're not sacrificing yourself for our relationship. And like, that moment of losing that virginity, I mean... You know, like, let's put in some angels singing right now in the background. <laughs> but, also, uh, but also, it was because it was because I got real. I realized yeah. that she was right. And she's, yeah. she's been a great kind of teacher the whole way. Even. Confidant. So, yeah. So, but, but yeah, Anna, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about that, though, Mike, is that, like, rewinding back to back in those days when I had just met you and we, we bonded immediately through music and everything, you always had you always had something that sets you apart from everyone else, whether, and it wasn't always like superficial. Like there was always something that was a little bit different than everyone else. You know what I mean? And it was like the straight edge thing, like, you know, for those that aren't super don't know about straight edge. I, I know it was a, it was a hot term for a while. Now people might, who knows, might call it something different, but back then in, in the, in the mid nineties, late nineties, there was all these, there was a lot of different movements and straight edge was like, yeah, you would go to these concerts, you would put X's on your hands and it was like, it was like a badge you wore. So you're abstaining from any kind of, any kind of drugs, any kind of alcohol and some, depending on the guy, like would abstain from sex too. And it's funny. Cause like as an outsider, I remember even back then it's a famous Kevin Smith quote where he's talking about like, you know, meeting Jason Muse for the first time. And he's like, yeah, he was saying that he was straight edge. And he's like, I understood the alcohol and the, and the drugs. Like I could get behind that, but you're not, you're not fucking. Is that just cause you can't get any or is it cause, <laughs> because you really believe in it? You know what I mean? So there was, and there was a weird thing too. Like you, you never, you never pushed your agenda on anyone else though. Like it was never, you were at the same parties we were all at where there was underage drinking and drugs going on and stuff, but you were never the kid that was like beating people up. Cause there were some of those shows that we would go to like these kids listening to earth crisis and Snapcase and bands like that, that would go to those shows to try and find people that weren't straight edge. And it was no different than skinheads. Like it was pretty brutal. That's the thing. Check it out. Like what, what you were telling me about the guy that was like talking about when you do like the 24 hour or 48 hour fasts, you know, or he noticed in himself that he was getting very irritable uh, and, and, but but that's the thing if you abstain you know if you can't like pete holmes talks about that all the time about how you had a vent and how you would go into these masturbation marathons and stuff and and that's the thing hey there's good things there's bad things there's people that abstain and then that they've lost control that way they've made kind of like a reverse engineered frankenstein and then there's other people that didn't abstain and then they they couldn't find their way back to a healthy balance and so right. that's the thing for me. What's really funny when you say about the straight edge and it was a badge, when you came to visit me, like last summer, we went to the, the Best Eye, which is the, the Switzerland of Saxony, where they have, you know, we went on that hike. Yeah. And there was like a crew of guys mm-hmm. and they were all like straight edge, you know, like I saw some of their tattoos and it was just like straight edge veganism. Right. You know, and it was like man (laughs) the dude was cool he looked like ripped he just he i just like wanted to find a a reason (laughs) to talk to him 
but it's kind of weird. Everyone's like with their own people on a hike, but it's like that badge, still something inside me says, mm-hmm. hey, Mike, you tried to be vegan. You know, you were doing that for nine months straight before you had your hip surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you weak now and stuff? And like, we are bombarded with the badges we carry and it's out of context because thinking about Boy Scouts, you fill up your whole sash with all these fucking merit badges that you, right. you've attained, you know, and it's like they all get lost. Nothing, you can't identify your strengths mm-hmm. because, you, you know, you, you're trying to get just so many badges. And so... It's funny that you say that, though, about the guy that you saw with the veganism tattoo and the the straight edge tattoo and stuff. And, like, I think that's that's fine and everything, but, like, I what I find comical is that these people that think something like that is is different than some guy that's really into the Boston Red Sox and that's going to kick your ass if you don't watch him. It's the same thing. They're both tribalism. You know what I mean? The need the need to identify with a clique that hard can I feel like can be super dangerous too. You know, like there's the I'm always. I'm always sending you stuff about that guy Ramdas, who's like a spiritual teacher who just actually just passed away last month. And there's a quote by him that I always I was referencing to you where he's talking about people coming up to him and saying, you know, I'm Mike, um, I used to be an alcoholic and now I don't drink or like, oh, I used to smoke and now I, you know, I haven't smoked in, in 15 years. And he would just say to them, oh, it's nice to meet you, Mike, you're, you're going to die from not being a smoker. <laughs> like people that are so do you know what i mean like because they're so yeah. obsessed with having that title i'm this i'm that and like having that be the narrative you have to tell yourself i'm just as guilty of it like i'm a surfer i'm a musician like i'm this i'm that like that's you know when you detach from if we, it's so hard to uh, detach from the ego surrounding that you know like i'm just as guilty of it everyone is yeah, that, that's like people just, you know, you know, I found God, I was born again and stuff. It's like, oh, you know, well, I, I don't even really know how many times I've been born again, you know, <laughs> like how, right. like, so, right. so that, that's the weird thing. I mean, I need to confess that like I, I buy into that as much as I, my ideas of being unique, not being mainstream, always going against the grain, trying to stand mm-hmm. out, being approval, or, you know, getting mm-hmm. that attention that's still just as weak as somebody who who hangs out and or just binges on television or Netflix and just consumes whatever mm-hmm. mainstream channels are left are feeding them so and that's what we need right. to break free from right. that, just a, yeah, that 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 is yeah just a small antidote antidote about that this morning um i had sent you those pictures of that chaga mushroom mix that i bought you okay. know the which is the, the perfect example of how like you and i are very similar where it's like we find these new like cbd oil or this like supplement that's uh, like we read some article about but roberta <laughs> roberta was teasing me about it and she's like she's like what is that i'm like oh it's layered you know the surfer layered hamilton like he has this like superfood creamer you put in your coffee it's like a mushroom based stuff and she's like that sounds disgusting. I'm like, no, it's really good. She and then she's like, who are you sending those pictures to, Mike? And I was like, yeah. She's like, the two of you would end up in a cult within three days of anywhere by yourselves. <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's that's where you know landing on that substance thing. You know, it's just interesting how we're all just trying to escape our brains. We're all just trying to like 
not sit with our own thoughts. You know, it's so funny. Yeah, by the way, speaking of fasting or sacrifice, and that's actually, I think it's almost the same shit. You know, there's absence of something, and then there's another substance to what you can concentrate on. So, like I've been, since November 13th, mm-hmm. Adam, you, t- you talked to me about that, that app, Zero, which is just a nice designed timer to help you do intermittent fasting. And I've, like, out of the blue, I wasn't ready to do it. You, you told me that you've been doing it for a while. I think you've been doing it for a year on and off, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I tried it, and I just kind of, like everything I do, I get obsessed by it. Right. <laughs> But just by the way, it's really funny because I think that it was always kind of like when you log in, you can see how many people are fasting with you. And it was always around like 350,000, sometimes 400. But like right now, in my conclusion is it's like it was like 500,000 something. And it was like, I think everyone's getting ready for, you know, Valentine's Day. (laughs) And they're... They're gonna let loose. Yeah, yeah. They just they 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 are they want to look sexy. They want to get ready. But man, I'm really going off trail. I'm really going off trail here, and it is super off trail. mentally slippery. or physically. <laughs> Wait, what? Physically, literally, not mentally. Off trail, off the trail. You're literally yes. going off the trail. So, yep. Can I? Can I? Can the last thing I was going to say about the, the, the straight edge thing Please. is that, um, you know, thinking back to that time period, weren't you telling me that the, the whole Ridlin thing and like the ADHD or the ADD, weren't you misdiagnosed? What, weren't, weren't they trying to figure out if it was actually a bipolar issue? Was that you? Were you telling me that, or am I? Yeah, there was a time what around two thousand three, or when I started in engineering school. You know, you know. Sometimes you're talking to psychologists, and then you're telling them about problems and life changes, and problems change. And so we tried using Adderall, which is also for people with bipolar. And bipolar is also, man, diagnosis. They, you know, that's like watercolors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can paint a picture of anybody. You know what's hilarious about the yeah, Adderall is now like an epidemic as well because Adderall is another and there is amphetamine in that, but apparently the the acting and the news culture, like the people that are newscasters and also actors and writers okay. are having major addic- major addictions to Adderall. So There's like It it um, made me so depressed. I I I really went to some dark times in that and it was it was it's it's crazy you're, you're validating yourself you're going through something that is external you know what i mean and you're taking something that is directly altering your chemistry you know what mm-hmm. what are the fucking chances that that stuff aligns perfectly it's kind of crazy right 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 well even if you just even if you just look at the when women are on birth control, like that does some crazy shit to their brain chemistry too. Like anything that, that that's, that's changing the biochemical makeup of, of any part of your body. Like it's so, it's so scary. You know, this is, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that the answer is to rub leaves on your feet and be done with it. But this is where we need a call in line. This is right, right now in this moment, we need someone who's actually a woman who could, could describe that. 
<laughs> I'm sure, I, I'm sure yeah. Roberta and Tracy right now are just rolling their eyes, but... <laughs> well, that's always... No, nope. Yeah, but that's like... I want to go somewhere, and this is totally... I, I'm, I'm really, like, kind of embarrassed to talk about it, but this, this idea of sacrifice, you know, waiting myself, the, the idea of Catholicism of, you know, don't unpedal your rose... You know, that you, every time you lose your, or you have sex with someone, you take a petal off of your rose. And at the end, when you're ready to holy matrimony, you have nothing left to offer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like me holding back and not having norm, normal experiences. Like I feel like, wow, I, I'm lucky that, that I could express myself vocally and like emotionally and open up to people some way because I have a huge deficit of, understanding my own body because I was just like a masturbation machine, you know, like, (laughs) and I do not, I, I like, I I mean, Adam, you know, I'm an intense person. You know that I have problems controlling my feelings. Imagine how hard it is for me to control orgasming. (laughs) Man, I, it's, oh, I just fell through the, the, the water. Wait, it's okay. As, as I was talking about having problems orgasming, I fall through the ice. No, but listen, Adam, Adam, <laughs> like this is, I've done so much work and stuff with that. And I, everyone's doing the same amount of problems and the same amount of benefits, altering chemistry, whether, you know, and that's why I'm so interested in the future to, to do microdosing with you and to, to do these things like, because it's all just, it's all just, it, there's always, there's benefits and, and negative impacts. And it's like, I have taken, um, I take a pill right now that's called Prilogy. And this is a, a pill, okay. like, like when, when it's just like, when, you can basically, you have an immense power to like control your orgasm. And then the craziest thing is it was developed to treat depression and they found out through testing and that that it didn't do anything for people's depression, but what it did do is give people control that suffer from PED, this premature ejaculation. Um, just, right. And the craziest thing is, like, I, I take this pill and, like, an hour between, like, between two and three hours or an hour and a half, you you don't feel a different at all. And, and, and the crazy thing is, like, all the feelings I have and stuff, it's just, it's weird. I feel that I have this tightening, like, I have control you know, down there by my penis. And it's like, I don't know. That. <laughs> down there. Yeah. I know, but the, the craziest thing is, is like, I use it now. Like, I, I don't want to become addicted to it. For... I use it to understand what that feels like. And I try to guide myself along the way not to use it. And so I think that for me, that's like, I've come to an awareness where in 2015, <clears throat> you know, a couple of years ago, you know, my mom was coming to visit us in Germany. I was going to a job in Spirit of Space. And both of my mom and my wife just said, like, you are totally out of your element. You are, like, you are so about to attack and stuff. And, like, I quit taking Ritalin or this form of it called Medicinate at that time. I quit cold okay. turkey. Mm-hmm. And I started working with a homeopathic medicine, which is, like, it's... It's based on energy, based on nature. You know, they, they, it's like these little candy 
balls from different things in the world and stuff and they take it and like you try to balance yourself out and for me it's just like I feel like I'd never want to go back to pharmaceutical drugs I mean and I'm um, yes I'm saying it hypocritically because that's my whole thread of my life like I still take that thing for that one thing but I'm, I'm trying to at least gauge myself and not looking at it as a quick fix but look yeah. at it as an orientation because whether my body releases the right chemicals or whether I've had enough discipline to control it or whether there's a pill that gives me like the, the missing stuff that I, that I don't have, you know, I think we can alter and get, find ourselves to have that balance. And that's where I'm trying to go. Right. Well, if there was, I think what's interesting too, is like you have a personality that if, if anyone was a candidate to be, um, what do they call that? Like patient zero for placebo, it's you <laughs> because, you can be convinced that I could probably give you a glass of water and put some sugar in it and be like, this is this new superfood. And like, you'd, you would call me the next week and be like, Adam, I feel amazing. You totally changed my life. <laughs> I, I really think that there's a, there's a, I know that's an extreme example, but there is some form of placebo effect, I think in your brain, because you are so accepting as a person, you know what I mean? That it just, it kind of just filters in that way because like, okay, here's, here's a perfect example. You, we've been talking a lot about like your, your history with substance and stuff for me, like when we were friends and we were young, you know, 16 years old or maybe like 18, like when all the people around us were starting to, you know, play around with, you know, having beers at parties or like people smoking pot and stuff like you were, you were the patient zero cause you weren't doing any of that stuff. Whereas I was dabbling here and there. And I can remember specifically one time after a show that we played, I think it was a confusion show. And I smoked, I smoked a joint with like some girls or something. I don't know, like after somewhere. And then we had to leave and you were, you were driving me back to, I think I was staying at your house or something. And then I like the, the joint was like laced with something. Cause then I just started like totally geeking out. Like, I do you remember this? Like being in the car with me. I remember you like looking at, at your hand and shaking. And then yeah, I was like, I was like, Mike, do you see my hand moving like erratically? <laughs> and you're like the worst person to have next to somebody because you're just like buying into everything. Like, yeah, I see it. I totally see it. And you're stone cold sober, agreeing with me, <laughs> making it worse. <laughs> you know, to the point where like I, I was ready to psychotic. like I was telling you to take me to the hospital. And you were considering taking me to the hospital, even though I was just having a, like a wacky trip or whatever. But, um, so you, you're the wrong person to calm someone down in that situation. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, no, well think about it. I, yeah, yeah. We, that's, that's, that's how crazy. Oh my God, Adam, I'm fucking standing in front of a buck. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, you want to talk to us, Bucky? <laughs> it, it's an actual buck with horns. Yeah, he's got like I don't know how many. I'm looking at how many points. I should. I'm gonna take. I don't. I don't take a picture. Yeah, let me take a picture right now. For the memoirs. Here. We'll post it with the podcast. Oh, shit, hold on, Adam. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Shit, he just went behind a bush. Okay, hold on. He's really friendly. I feel like Snow White. <laughs> I can just imagine you tiptoeing 
over there trying to get this picture of this book. Hopefully this doesn't end up on YouTube with you getting kicked in the face. <laughs> okay, no, I got a picture. He, he, he lifted up his tail and went away. But Adam, that's what I'm talking about, man. Like, I can remember so many parties where people in high school would say, dude, you were wasted last night. I'm like, whoa. You know, like, I was definitely not wasted, but, like, I, I get into it. I can, I can vibe off those people's feelings. And I'm saying that yeah. if you can release those chemicals in your brains, like it comes down to basic, like, you know, elements that are in the world. And totally, I think that you can, yeah. you can, however people do it, it's about self-awareness and control. I felt, I have felt way more stoned in a really good early morning meditation than I have with some shitty pot from somebody, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that's totally, totally doable. It's obviously it's different. I'm not comparing the two, like, but it's, you can get there like mentally. Um, and there's better, there's better, um, there's better feelings than that. That's the point. Yeah. It's funny. You're talking about people telling you that, you know, you were wasted at some party. I mean, I can remember also speaking of your lack of sleep, you know, I would get calls at two in the morning from your mom asking where Mike was. And normally a parent would be calling cause he was, you know, doing drugs somewhere. It was just that Mike hadn't slept and he was pulled over on the side of the road somewhere. But there was plenty of times you got pulled over and the cop thought he had you like, cause you were drunk, but really you just hadn't slept in two days. <laughs> and the guy was convinced. <laughs> there was a podcast that, that many, it is much dangerous. It is much more too much dangerous to drive while sleepy than to drive while intoxicated yeah, and the same sure. things i mean you see trails you you're you, you lose your orientation well that's like the thing with truckers and stuff the you know why they can pull off on the side of the road but yeah absolutely <clears throat> so I, yeah what what else do you think about you know, like sac sacrifice or how like you were growing up and but yeah i mean just like with substance and stuff i mean i was no like i wasn't in trouble all the time for underage drinking and doing drugs but i mean like any teenager but i re i can remember just like a small little wink and nod like from my dad like when i would get busted for something almost like <laughs> giving me like a nod like hey i know where you're at right now I, we can't really, you know, I'm not going to go into it, but I, I know where you're at, you know, and knowing my dad who was a musician for, for many, many years playing and touring rock bands and stuff. Like I was no idiot. Like obviously my dad had been through all this stuff and, um, just thinking about that, you know, I wanted to, as far as the song that comes off of this podcast, you and I tried, um, to actually bring to life one of my dad's songs by sampling you it found, like yeah, when years I was there ago. visiting you, you found like yeah. a 45. Yeah. So my dad was in, the, my dad's been in several bands, but he was in this band called the fastbacks in probably the sixties, mid sixties, I would say. And they were like one of those, the best way to describe it is like picture the movie, that thing you do. Right. Um, it was, it was like the, the Beatles era, you know, the pay to play, um, era. And I, f my dad had these 45s made from, from then. And you and I had listened to it and we always kind of said like, oh man, that'd be awesome to, to make something out of that. 
And, you know, just thinking about substance and sacrifice, my, both of my parents and, and both of your parents have lived through those, those eras and also have sacrificed a shitload for, for both of us. So my parents is who I think about when I think about sacrifice. So I wanted to just, um, let's play that song. Cause I think, um, I think I would like to do something with this. So just to kind of put to you in that frame of mind. Okay. Cool. Cool. Hit it. It's, it's so gorgeous. There is like, I can't wait. We we need to use that as the basis for whatever we produce of, of the song, and just you, you know, or or at least mm-hmm. get in that feel. Like I mean, that that the strings are so open. There's so many breaks, mm-hmm. like with the drums. He's just kind of like, you know saying about being lost. I mean, obviously it's like being orientated from the woman's calling to you and it, it's cool it's this is perfect it could bridge both subjects beautifully absolutely no i i love that song um it's funny because when i talk to my dad about it he gets like embarrassed about it what he is embarrassed about that song 
not embarrassed, but like, you know how, like, even when we listen to like the happy hour songs, like there's parts of you because you live through it and you recorded it where you like cringe and stuff, like, cause you're thinking about what your expectation of it was and stuff. Like, no, he looks back fondly on it, but it's funny because when I tell him I want to use that, he's always like, really? So it would be really fun to show him what I could do with it. You know, that's exactly why we're doing this podcast because it's kind of like 20 years when we're at the top looking back and saying, oh man, we wish we could. It's like great to learn from what you did and let somebody else stumble upon it and feel it for that naive moment while you were creating it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But hey, check it out right now. I, I, I really feel inspired to, to freestyle like that, that the song's there. And the coolest part about it is I really got lost <laughs> like walking around there. And now I, find, I had to like walk on the street back. And mm-hmm. so the other side of the river, now I'm on this, like the same waterfall. Can you save your freestyle till till later, or do you want to hit, do you want to hit it now because you got it in your head? Oh my God, metaphors after metaphors, just like the orgasm. I'm gonna hold it in and wait and bust <laughs> it out later. <laughs> don't, don't, okay. don't explode all over the wall. Hold it in. Okay, no, tell me. Then you, yeah. Then where do you, what, yeah? What do you want to do? Yeah. Where, what do you want to keep talking about? Yeah. So just talking about like the substance thing. Like I was saying, like on the surface you know, substance make me think about like, of course, of course my dad lived through all those years as far as like the literal version of substance and stuff, but also sacrifice. We wanted to talk about sacrifice as well. And I think just in, in what we were talking about sacrificing, you know, whether it's doing fasts or, um, you know, sacrificing, Hey, I'm going to not drink in January and, and see how I feel as like a base level. There's these other sacrifices that I think, make ours look pretty silly when you think about it. Some of the sacrifices that our parents did for us, you know, that I like to think I still do them, you know, I still do them for my family as well. But I look back at stuff that my parents sacrificed for me. um, And I'm so grateful for it, you know, like my, so listening to that song makes me think about all the bands my dad was in, like he was in that band in the 60s. And then in the 70s, he was in this like, my dad was really into the band yes and like king crimson and like prog rock and stuff so he was in this band called suds and they were very regionally very popular like in really popular in milwaukee like they would open for like the major acts that would come into town and they scored a couple you know different regional tours and stuff and then it kind of got to a point where after i was born he was still in that band and kind of like when you and I were in Kung Fusion, it kind of just ran its, ran its course and they, and he needed to do something different. I don't know the full story. I might float my dad in to talk about it a little bit, but my parents just like, were at this crossroads. Like they weren't sure what they were going to do similar to the, I think the way Roberta and I felt when we left Milwaukee. Um, not that we didn't love that city, but we just were ready for a new adventure. And they moved across the country with me when I was, um, I think six months old to Southern California. And my, my grandma, my dad's mom and my dad's dad had already moved out here, um, kind of for similar reasons. They were just sick of the winter. They were getting older. Um, and at that time it wasn't crazy expensive yet to, to live in California. I mean, it probably, it was definitely more expensive than, than Milwaukee still, but in retrospect, not the same craziness that it is now. They moved out here and they were living with with my grandparents and the initial intention was for my dad to try out for different bands in LA and he wanted to get into a band and basically 
be a rock star is the best way to put it, you know, cause he, he, he had gotten so far, um, in Milwaukee and then they were doing this new thing and they came out here. And at that time, like, so I was born in 79. So we're talking about the introduction of the eighties, which the eighties on the sunset strip in Hollywood were insane. You know, just, I just watched the, that Motley Crue movie, the dirt. And that was a little bit later, but still, I mean, it was, it was an insane time for LA music wise. Um, and so he was like in the thick of that. And I just remember him telling me about going, driving into LA every morning, early in the morning, he would like help feed me or or get me settled or whatever. And then he would drive into LA with his drum kit and go to all these different auditions. And he would walk into some of these places and they would be like, all right, let's jam. Do you know this song, this song or whatever? And then it would be like after they played and he would like walk into their common area or whatever. And, you know, there'd be like a mound of cocaine on the table or something (laughs) and like, and like, you know, Miami vice size. And they, and they were like, they were like, Oh, go ahead, hit it or whatever. And, and my dad was like, no, you know, I gotta, I gotta get home. I, you know, I got a family at home and they would, they, I remember him saying to me, they would literally say, yeah, yeah. Bring your family. Come on down. You know, <laughs> and like he was just, he would just like drive home and be like, okay, this, this, this isn't working and not, yeah, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate when I think back on it. Cause my dad was, he still is so talented. He's an amazing drummer. Everything that I, everything that I got from him you know, he, um, sometimes I wonder like if, if it would have been a different time or a different scenario, if, if it, if it would have worked out, you never know. But that was the sacrifice that he made is one day he just got sick of, sick of that and was like, look, I got a family to, to look after and time to get a real job and put on my big boy pants. And that's what he did, you know? So that, I mean, when it, comes to sacrifice the word sacrifice that's definitely what i think about um and i'm grateful to him for sure and you know he went on playing in bands over the years um still and that's just proof that did and just like we're doing you don't have to be a touring musician to be to to make music mean what it does to you in your heart you know you can still do it yeah no that's i mean i'm really looking forward to like having you then refresh right away after what you just told me, you know, like have, hear it from him, have him paint that picture and then just talk about it from his perspective. Cause yeah, that would, that's, I, that, that's like, I'm, I just want to hear what, how he reflects back on that now where, you know, he's got a, this beautiful granddaughter and it's his amazing, you know, daughter-in-law and, you, you guys, what's crazy is about you, you know what's so, so cool about that or is about you moving back and then bringing your dad and mom back with you, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, like you're talking about the sacrifice right. that they made, then you made that at a later in life and <laughs> you brought that back to them. Like when I came with, yeah. when I came with you yeah, to the house I've, that you grew up right. in and, and that, now they they got mm-hmm. paid and that now they're living in that house. That's that's insane. You know, I, you know, just like I was saying, Roberta and I got to a certain point. Um, we've been out here in California for now. I think this will be our seventh year, maybe sixth year. But anyways, we did we you know we got to a point we were living in Wisconsin still, as were my parents. 
and Roberta and I were just getting sick of the winters and like wanted something different. And like, she wasn't really finding a great job in teaching and stuff. And I kind of had some pretty, pretty wide freedom at my job at the time. And I could kind of work from anywhere. So we, we, we had come out to California for a vacation in February. I think it actually, yeah, it wasn't February. It was like February 20th or something. And if anyone knows what Wisconsin is like in February, I mean, there's definitely some days where you get warm days and stuff, but for the most part, you're looking at negative, negative sub-zero temperatures and definitely a snowstorm could come at any time. So we had left, we were like, you know, let's get out of here. Let's go to California. And obviously it was beautiful here. We stayed in Laguna beach. It was 70 every day. And we're like, man, we got to find a way to, we got to move out. We've been talking about it for years. Like on our honeymoon, we came out to California. We're like, we just got to do it. And, um, so we kind of made a pact. Well, before the pact, we flew home and our, our best friends, Ben and Jen were watching, um, watching our daughter and, and our dog. And so we flew home and there was a snowstorm as we were coming into town and they got stuck. They got stuck in our driveway. They couldn't even get out of our driveway to come to the airport to pick us up. So we had to take a taxi from the airport to our house. And then the taxi driver got stuck in a snowdrift. <laughs> and we just like, look, we just like looked at each other. We're like this, that's Seals it. We're done. It we got, happening. we need to sit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that next week we just made a pact. It was like, okay, whoever gets a job first in Southern California, we're moving, whether it's you or me. And she, um, she applied to like every school she could find out here. And she got an interview at this Montessori school in Newport beach. And that didn't work out long-term, but it's, it's what got us out here, you know? And so we just, yeah, we just left and, um, did the same thing. My parents did it. It felt weirdly, it was serendipitous, but also just like a history repeating, of course, this happened kind of feeling, you know what I mean? Like it didn't feel, it just felt like, okay, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. And then when we were moving, I was kind of like in the back of my mind, I wonder if my parents are going to move back out here because obviously, you know, we have a, they're, you know, we're taking their granddaughter out, <laughs> out, to, out to California. She was only what, four at the time, I think. And then shortly after, maybe like uh, six months later, my brother moved out here. My brother moved out from Milwaukee. And then a couple years later, my parents kind of started talking about it and they still own their house out here um, in California. And they now they're back here full time. They still have an apartment in Milwaukee that they're in April. They're finally closing shop on. And so they're moving out here full time. So yeah, it's weird. History repeating. And I, that, that really makes me, um, you know, like the metaphor of a house and, you know, like being the center of the fire where the, you know, the fireplaces and like, I think it's almost like you could make a metaphor to say that you were like the, the injection in the arm that also like brought balance to them too, to, did not, you know, to move, like to totally sell your house and get out of there and change your life and then move from one from the midwest to the west coast i'm, I'm thinking too there mm -hmm. was that time where i came out right. and i filmed the house that you grew up in and that they now live in and i was like you and your dad were talking and that i don't know if that if it makes sense with with this mm -hmm. song but like it also 
it makes me intrigues me to think oh i want to look back at that because maybe there's a way that that too comes into the story like the sacrifice you know like remember i remember you telling me about you know people in milwaukee just yeah. like whether they're really good acquaintances or you know friends or quasi friends and other friends it's like when you make the sacrifice to to go like to another part because you know that's good for you that's when the true colors shine through of is a person going to make the sacrifice to come visit you or like what how deep does a friendship grow you know you so that that distance to me is like yeah. i mean especially between right. you and me you know i was i me the straight edge person not having sex before mm -hmm. married to be the first person in our crew to to have a child with like is pretty funny and then just like i i stopped school and then yeah i mean even just me thinking of that like that was my mom's biggest fear and it was like when i told her that tracy is pregnant and i totally went into mama boy syndrome and wasn't there to stick up for tracy like trying to convince my mom that it's going to work yeah. out i'm going to finish school and it's like fuck i'm starting a family like that is taking priority and and th those are the moments in my life that i for once like calm down because my my whole body my whole being had a focus on those things to make a sacrifice instead of obsessing about superficial details you know like that i get caught up in so easily those are the things that the sacrifice like orientate me the most and i'm most grateful for and so for me to like stop school like move over to germany start learning german seriously you know that was a time before skype before social media like i was like literally off the fucking grid going to internet cafes to connect with people that it that was that was that was so monumental in my development of being a father i can remember like when milan was born thinking hey no matter what happens with the company that i'm doing or whatever like i can i know that i can make the sacrifice and love this little baby and that was so reassuring yeah so i think somehow there that sacrifice is the fulfillment yeah yeah for sure i think um <clears throat> you know you were talking in the last episode about or in two episodes ago in the death and the death episode you were talking about and you even put it in the song how you know you were saying you were freaking out when your mom died because you were you were just waiting for her to see you finally were a grown up but i don't think you gave yourself enough credit because that's what you're exactly talking about you focused like i've never seen you focus before when you found out Teresa was pregnant with milan you know and it happened at kind of the perfect time it's never it's like anything like if you sit around and try and plan when's the best time to have a baby you're never going to have a baby i mean it just it's that's never going to work out but those exact sacrifices that you went through um, was what you needed. Yeah. Where are you walking? I'm having a really hard time hearing you now. Yeah, sorry. Like, it, it got cut off. I, I think from the cold, um, the, you know, the Bluetooth and stuff on the headphones, and, like, it went back to my pocket. So you'll probably hear me better okay. on the mic than what you just heard me talk about. I don't Maybe you even cut me off but whatever yeah no that's like what you just said is is that that's beautiful thank you like to hear that 
Yeah, I, I can. I mean, yeah, I think, I think, um, and even in the last year, like you're talking about, like self reflection and stuff. Um, I think you've kind of you've been trying to turn back the clock on that in a good way to get back to that state. I think recently, um, in the last year or so, really trying to figure out how you can get back to that kind of focus, like almost like manufacturing that focus. Cause you know, you still need to make the same kind of sacrifices we all do. That's the thing is like when something crazy comes up in your family, you need to drop everything. If someone's sick or if someone needs your medical help, you're, you know, you and I of course would drop everything. Yeah. But you have to remember to do that even in the small, with the small things too. We both do Give yourself, you throw yourself out there. You know, the sacrifice should still exist on a small scale, just like it does in a big, to use the word we used last episode, the big grandiose plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. It feels good. It does not sacrifice the grandiose plan and to react. As far as making the song for this one, you know, that, that song by the Fastbacks, my dad's band from the 60s, will be perfect. I mean, I th- like I was saying before, like, it's definitely a time warp when you listen to that. And there's, I'm already thinking of really cool stuff we could, we could put, um, the beats and stuff. There's so many different nuggets, you know, to build off of. Even if it's just a couple little four or eight bar, maybe even just like a couple four bar loops of certain things, like there's some really cool stuff there. And the the message there, maybe the, yeah, they were talking about losing a long lost love, but that doesn't like any kind of sampling. You can, you can convert that into what, to what we want this song to be about, you know, the sacrifice and the substance. Yeah. What, what's really cool about this is at first we were talking about like, okay, this is two words, you know, like sacrifice and substance. But if you sacrifice, you remove something for yourself or you give yourself space to accept the substance which can also be the negative space which which like that's perfect right that's that's what's fulfilling you like that's what i have struggled with to make time for myself to to quiet down to not like you know be distracted by every little new side project or you know excitement novelty Mm -hmm. so actually that's not it's almost like yin and yang or you know the that 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 make it fits together quite well yeah, and we don't have to be talking about um, an artificial substance. You can be talking about the the depth and the substance of of um, the truth. You know, the substance of truth, like the honesty. Um, there, there's substance in that. I think for me and you and I, we're always, you know, the, whether you want to call it like self help or self realization or reflecting, you you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth you know, trying to find, figure that out. Um, and in reality, we're just looking, we're looking for the substance in life or the substance in the moments to try and create something real, you know, and, um, knowing that the sacrifice is a part of it, you know, cause that, that you're right. That, that is a yin and yang because exactly what you're saying is bringing you so much joy these days, whether it's the structure of the, the fasting, which you could define as, as a, um, uh, yeah, okay. uh, subs- or, check, sorry, check it, check it, check it. You could, you could, go ahead. <laughs> no, I got it. Let, can I just freestyle now? Or is that cool? I want to, I, I feel something. I got a really good statement or like, okay. So it's like, 
sacrifice? Is that a question or is it an answer to what fulfills you with the right substance of what I call life? A four-letter word, it doesn't mean right because that's five. And we all blend together what's talking, who's here to stay alive because we just want to survive on that basic level. So you climb the hierarchy needs to another endeavor that's going to take you somewhere else. So where you're lost, where you're going, and with no one else but yourself, you can never be lost. It shines bright like Ignite the Mic, and I hold it so tight that I can't even hold my arm out straight. Circumnavigate the course as I sit and wait and take shape to a new manifestation of a mind that can elevate to any place. Navigate, circum, wait. I'm sinking in the sand. Hold it up. Raise your hand. We all got five on it so we can connect and be ten, two, be here and again the cycle keeps continuing to blend and we're all just reaching out to a friend so let me give it out and get it back again <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah oh man i feel so alive man <laughs> what's the temperature there i i don't know but the fingers say like don't feel your blood yeah i was gonna say how's <laughs> I mean, I th I'm going to put some pictures up or something like I, I can't wait to show you. It's so cool. It's so beautiful. And you, it feels really good just to talk and walk. I don't know if I was ever at Whitnall. I'm sure I've been there before, but I'm just, it, I'm having a hard time picturing what it looks like. I don't know, but, but I, I really, I'm excited to, I mean, of course the things we're talking about and to look back even with the freestyle, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about capturing that moment because I did not, I might think of the first sentence, oh, substance and how it relates and then you go but then you're like you're like standing there and like you just start reaching for things you know and then it's great to listen back to it but i i'm excited to respond the way that you remixed him and me and yourself together i'm excited to let yeah. the song um be kind of like a, another like a, almost like another time talk back with me that you're it's guiding you. You're right. you think you're lost, but you you have some kind of feeling inside, and that song is guiding you. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and then having your dad come in, then we can just pick up from another point. Sometimes when he might, the thing about him playing football, I oh, can, yeah. can't even imagine yeah, it. When I told yeah. mom, she goes, "No," and I said, "Yeah, it's yeah. sad." Him and Glenn both. Yeah. Yeah. All Glenn I could see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Glenn. But Mike. Absolutely. <clears throat> I got to think about all those days back in the day. It doesn't, like, as it comes to you. Just pretend you have, I should get you some wine. <laughs> <laughs> I got to drive back there. Yeah, I know, I know. All right, so in the midst of the uh, the crazy doomsday coronavirus that we're going through, I decided to uh, have my dad over to the house. So this is going to be the second guest for the podcast. So thanks for coming over, dude. Not a problem. Orange County, anytime. <laughs> so I told you before we kind of got started that Mike, Mike and I just on this next podcast, the, the topic is substance and sacrifice. So I want to just like break it down a little bit. Um, Mike and I started talking a little bit already about the, the two topics. And there's two stories that came to me um, that you've told me before that I wanted to kind of go into a little bit on substance and sacrifice. So one of them is, um, you know, I learned to play drums from you. You've been in several bands going back to when you were what, like 15, 13, 13. Okay. Junior high was, uh, the Quintels. Okay. Cause back in that day, they had things called youth center yeah. and, uh, 
from seventh grade to ninth grade, they had every Friday you paid like a dime and you got a bag of chips and seven up. And there was a band and it was usually, it was all the kids in West Dallas that were musicians. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a band and you got like 15 bucks a night. So which was worked out to everybody got to buy a, a whole pizza and soda and yeah. go to Augie's and you know, when the door opened, you could probably see the go-go dancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time you tell me those stories from that, that era, it just reminds me of, well, two things, really. The movie, That Thing You Do, and what's the Ron Howard movie? Graf- uh, graffiti. American Graffiti? Oh, American Graffiti. Yeah, that, that, that was, that's earlier, though, yeah, right? Like okay. 50s. I'm dating you a little bit too much. <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> uh, old, but not that but yeah, that the the '60s. It's more like that thing you do. That that was more the pay to play stuff. Yeah, right? actually, that that's what still freaks me out is the pay to play. Even when we came here to California, when I was hearing stories about Van Halen and Wasp and all those groups having to pay to play, right. sell tickets, and then you could play at Gazaris or whatever. Well, even we did in Confusion at the Rave. I mean, it still goes on. Yeah, I know, and that, I just couldn't believe that. I mean, I was lucky, and the musicians my age at that time, especially in Wisconsin and Illinois, you know, you could, seventh grade, you could be in a band and, you know, play on Friday and Saturday nights and, and be booked most of the year. Yeah. You know, so that was kind of cool. You could learn your craft that way. Right, right. So actually, as we're here in my home office, we have, it's like a shrine to you, actually. And I didn't even realize it. I have a I have a framed Beastie Boys poster, and then the other three pictures on the wall are bands that you were in. That did mom have these done? I think she did, right? Or or have them printed somewhere or something? No, those are actual posters. Um, okay. The fastback one, um, as I've been meeting guys from West Dallas in the '60s, right? Mike White, the guy who was in Truk. Okay. And Charlie Rackey, they were in a band called American Express, and the same. Um, you know, the two-color... Yeah, the mo- the monochrome or the yeah. duotone. duotone. Yeah. yeah. And it was a hippie on um, right by Marquette High School. And you'd go into his house and he'd have all these posters. The and posters, all. yeah. And, and we were like teeny boppers. I mean, look, we got suits on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's and, a, I love that picture, though. That's awesome. Yeah, that one. And then the Suds one was actually... Somebody came to the Palms and shot us. I think they were... They worked for the Journal. Okay. And they, the they, Milwaukee they, Journal. Milwaukee Journal, yeah. And they actually um, did the whole sign. They, that was like their side job. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll post a picture of these on the on the podcast Instagram or something so everybody can see as we're talking. But yeah, they're really cool. So so was the Fastbacks your first band then? Or were you? No, in, okay. the Fast, I was in a band called the Quintels, which was like a youth so The Quintels, band. okay, yeah. That's and then it broke up kind of like when you and Mike were talking. Uh, With Happy Hour? Yeah, you know, there was kind of. Yeah. And that was. Then the bass player in that band asked me if I would join the Fastbacks. And I had seen them mm-hmm. at a place called The Factory in Wisconsin. And they looked like these rich kids. And I was thinking, yeah, I'll join. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And so I joined. And the cool thing was Mr. Fredericks had a, a cement plant. Okay. So we could rehearse there all the time. They had a van. They had a PA. They had lights. Right. And when I joined... The first job I ever played was a Battle of the State Band in Sheboygan, and we won. And I guess they couldn't compete in Milwaukee anymore because they had won so many times. So we got in, and then we got got into the State Battle of the Bands. And so that was my first job doing that. Gotcha. And I was in Fastbacks until 
I was like 18 or 19. Okay. I think 18. And how old were you in Suds then? 19 or 20. Okay. And so the backstory that I've heard, and you correct me as I'm telling you this, but so Suds, like the name sounds, Beer Suds, you guys owned a bar named Suds, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. In River West. Yes. In, in Milwaukee, which is actually, oddly enough, I think on the same street that Tim, from the last episode of the podcast, actually lived on that. I was on Clark, right? Was it on Clark? We were on Bremen and Chambers. So he was on Clark and Bremen. Right down from the tracks. Okay, so yeah, right there. And then we ended up, Mike and I ended up living right there too later on. Oh, yeah, yeah, Remember? So that's just funny how history repeats. What, Fuel Coffee? Was that the place around? Yeah, that was down the street. We were on Wheel and Center. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that place. Anyway, so you guys owned a bar, right? And you lived above it. Is that right? No, we had an office above it. Okay. And then there was the bouncer of Mother's Nightclub, mm. John Papanda, was actually from that old neighborhood when the band bought the bar. Okay. And he came on as our manager of the bar and had a place upstairs. And the original idea was ELO came in one night, Deep Purple and ELO. And we talked to Jeff Lynn. He said, man, stop doing King Crimson, and Yes and all that stuff because it's all dead. Do your own stuff. Yeah. So we, we went to the accountant and he goes, well, you're going to have to have a side business. Yeah. Well, Dave Zilka said, let's buy a bar. Yeah, yeah. And the owners of Mother's Nightclub knew of a guy, this place. Uh-huh. So we bought the bar and figured, okay, we'll have the bar. Then upstairs we'll have offices. And then on the third floor we'll have studio. Okay. Never happened. Never happened. But was so was the money from the bar helping fund to like tour and stuff? Or was it going back into the band? Or was it just like helping your livelihood? Just helping you guys pay rent? Do you remember? Well... I guess it was helping pay rent. I mean, when when the band broke up, yeah, for a year we got money from the bar. Okay, selling the equipment and uh, you know okay. it was like payments. Got it. Yeah. So I guess this this part of it falls into the sacrifice or not the sac the substance topic since you owned a bar, so beer would be a substance. <laughs> but that's why that's why I thought about this. You know, like, but you always told me. That you were like the worst bartender on the oh, planet. Oh God, I was because horrible. You would, you, I, mom would always say you would forget to collect the money right at the end of the night. You'd be talking to everybody. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really drink. Yeah. I um, mixed drinks. I had no clue what they were. Okay. Beer I could pour, you know. Sure, sure. But I didn't really drink at that time. In That's fact, uh, the first beer I ever had was uh, Heineken. I got dehydrated, and uh, the doctor said you should. Drink some beer every once in a while. So I had a Heineken. I went, oh, this is so pretty like good. So your tolerance was better? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. A lot better. That's funny. So yeah, that band was like almost like a, like you said, like a yes, yellow, like a like a prog rock band, right? Yeah, but we, we did everything. I mean, we did from Billy Joel to Jethro Tull to okay. Genesis to... Yeah. I mean, um, James Taylor. Really? Yeah. Because I have, I'll insert, I'm, I'm going to insert some of the audio, I think, from, from, um, there's a concert you gave me. Is it, is that the one from MATC? That, that, the video that you just recently had transferred? Oh, yeah, yeah, that is. So I'll insert that right here so you guys can hear, get yourself in the, um, tripped out 70s vibe so you can feel what we're, we're thinking here, but.
Yeah, so you guys had a, so it was a guitar player, you obviously playing drums, which in the picture on my wall, you're playing Rototoms, made famous by, after you, I guess, would be, the most famous was Alex Van Halen, probably played him. And then most recently, Taylor Hawkins has added it to his drum kit and the Foo Fighters was pretty cool. And Bill Bruford too was. And Bruford, yep. And then um, and then your bass player also played Moog, right? Uh, yeah. What happened was that was a four-piece. We had oh, a five-piece. Okay. Um, oh, that's right. Okay. Um, actually, the original Sods was a horn band like Chicago. Because Dave played yeah. flute, right? Played uh, trumpet, piccolo trumpet and flute. Okay. Guitar. And then we had a whole horn section, trombone, saxophone. Um, oh, wow. And another trumpet player. So we could, and one of the sax players played flute too, so we could use two flutes. We yeah. did uh, Richie Haven's Freedom okay. from Woodstock, yeah. that song. And then when we, we fired the um, horn section or got rid of the horn section, got a violin, and because Ma Vishnorik was, was you know, popular at the yeah. time. And that's what that was. And then our bass player, my roommate, Pat Reed, um, decided to leave. And that was a time when, um, at the time, everybody was using, like, Moog bass. or And Dave actually would play bass. George would play bass. Okay. We, we just made it a four-piece, tried to make it work that way. That's cool. Okay. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then after, so as that band was... I guess tailing off or breaking up was right soon after that I was born, right? Right. Pretty were, soon? Yeah. You were born, um, I think the band broke up about 79. Okay. And um, you were born in 79. And we stayed here. I got into my Triumph TR4 one day and it was freezing winter. <laughs> and I didn't have a clutch. And I got in and it was just so cold. Yeah. And, um, I thought, man, we got to move. So Daryl Strummer had moved out. Uh, yeah. The whole sweep on me had auditioned with Frank Zappa. Daryl Strummer, who's now in Genesis right. still, right? Mm-hmm. And he was in sweep on The whole band went out there. And he got hired by Jean-Luc Ponte. And so mom just said to me, well, do you think you could make it out there? And I said, well, sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. That's the proper answer to your wife if she asks you that question. I'm a ginger, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because um, grandma and grandpa were already out here, uh-huh. and my sister Kathy, so yeah, we moved out. And at that time, I mean, okay, so 79, we're just about to go into the phase of music where you could just i mean same with actors i guess people had still at that time and they still do with actors i guess but had these dreams of we're going to california i'm gonna make it right that was the whole thing and um now obviously with the music industry that's not exactly the same anymore it doesn't happen that way but at that time which is had to be super exciting you moved to california with the intention with me and i was what six months nine months okay so you start going on these auditions for bands. Mm-hmm. You're driving from Orange County, California into LA, which is about an hour, right? So what were the kinds of bands you were you were My Sharona was really popular at the time. Okay. And I walked into an LA yeah. studio um and it was just all mirrors. Mm-hmm. And everybody was looking in the mirror. <laughs> okay. And they obviously wanted to be like a My Sharona band because sure. it was popular. It's all and, image. Yeah. And so they said, well, and I come in with Rototoms. Mm-hmm. And they looked at those right away and it was kind of like, really? That's, that's over. 
And the guy said, so what are you into? And I said, yes. And he said, and he played one line of um, Close to the Edge, and that's okay. all I knew. Okay. And I said, well, just play something you really want to play. And right. They played some, like, bubblegum stuff. And, yeah. You know, it was obvious we weren't going to get along. Yeah, yeah. And then I went on, man, I want to say 10 or 12 auditions. Yeah. I mean, just went to show up. One time I, I and this could be... <laughs> I showed up at somebody's house and it was two little kids. They said that they knew people from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Okay. And I show up and there's kids like maybe 14, 15 years old. Right. And it was kind of like, really? I drove all this way. <laughs> it could have been Adam Levine. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the people that were, the people you were auditioning for, the, yeah. they had kids that were, okay. No, they were just the kids themselves. Oh, 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 gotcha. They never told me, uh, yeah, we're like 14 years old. Oh, right? that you were auditioning for, I gotcha. And then I auditioned for That's uh, crazy. Easter. One Easter, it was like Easter Sunday or something. And okay. Got a call and mom goes, just go ahead. And yeah. Grandma Jean went, yeah, yeah, just go ahead. So I go there and here it's a REO Speedwagon band and... They have this whole room, and the first thing they did was hand out money, and it was like in rolls, uh-huh. you know, rubber band. And yeah. I thought, I said, yeah, Ario Speedwagon is um, funding us. And I'm going, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how. Yeah, exactly. And so I A little put, candy in the nose. Yeah. I put on a tape of General Direction, the song I had written and recorded. Okay. And the guy goes, you didn't write this. And I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, no, you didn't. So at that point, it was kind of yeah, like yeah. another Rototoms. They looked at the Rototoms and went, nah, not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, on that same note, I remember the the other story that I, I started telling to Mike also was that you, now you've told me like you, you know, you'd go to these auditions and, and you'd show up and you had a at that time a one, two-year-old kid and you'd be showing up these auditions and there'd be just mounds of coke everywhere. Obviously it was the beginning of the eighties and that was the times, but they'd be saying stuff like, yeah, just, just come on over, bring the family. No problem. I walked in and there was stuff all over the table and the guys, yeah, we live right next to Dylan, man. It's no big deal. Just move your family right in. And I I was thinking, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'll be doing it. Mom will just love that. Yeah, mom will love that. Well, now, now reading, uh, you just mentioned Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Now that I've read Graham Nash's book and heard the stories of Crosby freebasing in his car on the way to San Onofre, you know, it's like, I'm kind of glad you didn't go down that road. But yeah, I mean, I'm, that's where I got the idea of the substance and sacrifice thing, because obviously it was a huge sacrifice to move from Wisconsin. I mean, you just kind of did it. Mm-hmm. And then the substance thing, obviously, with the stories of the drugs and stuff. But I think... um it's funny because for me, when when Roberta and I moved out here from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is now seven years ago, eight years ago, I think. It's yeah. been yeah. I had that in the back of my head. So it's always given me this for better or for worse, false not false confidence, but enough confidence to be like, Well, they did it. So yeah. you know, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. So and on the flip side of that, the more musicians I talk to when I get, you mm-hmm. know, older guys like me. Mm-hmm. My first thing is when they start talking, oh, yeah, this guy made it and this guy made it. And I think to myself, you know, and you may think I'm lying, but I'm not. No. I'm actually glad that it didn't happen to me yeah. because so many good things happened out of sure. it. You know, yeah. like the studio thing, uh-huh. you know, and being a dad, that was yeah. the coolest thing. You yeah, know? I mean, for sure. and a lot of, I know a lot of those guys and they don't have families anymore. Well, yeah. And it, it, 
that gave me a pass to know that if it didn't, when I was trying to make it, so to say, when we were doing the confusion thing and starting to go on tour and small, you know, small tours or whatever. Right, but right. It, at the time, we really were trying. But I knew that it was okay that if I didn't, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was, it was like, uh, well, if it doesn't work out, didn't work out for my dad either, but he still, that was the thing. He still plays music. He still has fun playing music. And that's the thing that Mike and I talk about to this day. It's like, him and I have more fun doing this podcast or like sending something, you know, he's, it's eight hours ahead. So it's 11 o'clock there, which he's probably not going to go to bed for another five hours knowing him, (laughs) but sending him something and he wakes up at two in the morning and he sees it and he like gets so excited and he's messaging me back. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not about the tours and the, all the glitz anyways. Well, you guys hit on it when you were saying the creativity, you know, and, who would have known when you were living on Lions that yeah. you would be doing a podcast and Mike would be in Germany? Germany, yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. You just kind of live your life. Yeah, and- it's definitely uh, that's that is what I love about technology. There's a lot of there's a lot of shitty things about technology, but this is definitely one of the one of the better ones for sure. Why wasn't it around when I was? <laughs> I know, no, I know. Mike and I talk about it all the time. Well, even just like when we go dig back into the confusion stuff or like eight track. Um, or not eight track, um, four track recorders that we were trying to use to make demos. That sounded like shit. And now it's like the thing I did on my iPad sitting on the toilet sounds better than <laughs> half the stuff we took two weeks to try and finish. You know, it's like well, what I notice is, you know, I had a big kit. I had uh, six toms, yeah, eight toms, and like, and then the cluster by the floor toms. There's two floor toms and two toms above that. So back in the day, to mic that, you just put a mic in between all yeah, four of them. Right. So when I listen back to those tapes, it's kind of like it's not giving everything. Like now you listen today and everything's right, 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 right. Even though you're hitting it the same way, it's still never going to be. I mean, I had Barkusberry pickups back then. Mm-hmm. If we would have had Roland's pickups back then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it's totally nuts. Yeah. Um. So. All right, so well, the magic of podcasting—you guys have already heard the the Suds song, but I wanted to take a second. We talked about the Fastbacks, so that was the band that you were in in the '60s. So you ha- you guys had what years were that? It was like uh, it was about 1970, no. 69 or 70. Oh, 69, late 60s. Yeah, because so yeah, you had a 45 made, so mm-hmm. it was a two sided. Right. right, one side was a cover. Yeah, um, Christine Neighborly is the song, right? There was a company called teen town records okay they had a club john hall and the tigers everybody was on and they were he was getting those things played on local radio and they came to us and said we have this song and we're going to take you to minnesota cool studio it was like an egg right and went there and recorded it, and they said do you have another song i said well i wrote this song mm-hmm. and so we recorded that and it got to the point where they're going to put it on the radio. Yeah, I'm not going to name any names here, sure, but there sure. was a payola thing going on. Okay, and did they just like, so like in that thing you do exactly that scenario? That's hilarious. They said it was because Christine Neighborly was too risque. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it is hilarious. Yeah, but you know it worked out fine. So, and then on the other side is a song called. Um, You've lost, right? So Mike and I were listening to that 
and we thought that it's cool because it has that feel, but it almost has like, especially when you listen to the other song, the Christine Neighborly song, and then the flip side, it's like totally darker, you know, but it still has that like Beatles-esque feel to it, but almost like going into the more Crosby, Stills and Nash, or even like the birds and stuff, like just darker, you know, feeling. Um, like I was saying, there's a band from Chicago called the Crying Shames. Okay. And, they, and at the time, Tony's Tigers was a big vocal band. And, and that was a thing in Wisconsin at the time. Everybody had to have a, a vocal band. Okay. And that's what we were trying to do. They, they had some cool stuff. Um, actually, at the studio this was recorded, there was a band from Minneapolis called Gypsy. Okay. And they're, they're still playing today, and they were like awesome. <laughs> Really yeah, good. there's definitely a, a focus on um, the vocals just as much as the rest of this the stuff, which you, I I don't feel like you see that often in younger bands. They don't usually, you know, I mean some, but I mean. Like, well, that was like I was saying, that was because we could play all the time. Okay. And, you know, we could practice and, you know, yeah. it wasn't a pickup thing. Back then you had to be in a group. I mean, you mm-hmm. weren't in mm-hmm. 900 groups and stuff like that. and. Yeah, I mean, there's double tracking on there, which was a big deal back then, you know. Gotcha. Um, so, Mike and I have already kind of started doing, sampling some of this, and we, we started making a new song out of it, kind of taking taking a cut out of what we did in the last episode where we started sampling stuff. It's cool because it's um, not sampling it in the way we're just going to steal a four-bar loop and then pretend we wrote something, but make something new out of sure clips you know and our idea from here is actually to have you play drums on it me play drums on it and mike actually who was a drummer before anything learned how to play drums mm-hmm. is going to do some drums on it too which will be cool because it'll be three different drummers and we were all football players too yeah there you go there you go <laughs> and i guess we could call it a nod to to grandpa bill so um you're yeah so your dad was also a drummer in big bands that's one thing we didn't talk about i guess oh yeah that, yeah you know because so Talk a little bit about that, because obviously we're three generations of drummers. Um, Did Grandpa teach you how to play? Yeah, he gave me single stroke and double stroke roll. Okay. You know, back then it was um, single stroke was just one, two, three, four, and a double stroke was the big thing. He'd go, okay, here's here's the terminology. Mama, dada, mama, dada. (laughs) And that's how I learned to play a double stroke roll. Uh And he had – I was like only in – First grade at the time when I was in school band, and that's okay. how he gave me, you know, the basic sure. rudiment stuff. And I had sticks that he had at the Eagles Club when it burned down. Those were like the leftover yeah. sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have pictures of him playing there in the yeah. in the ballroom at the Eagles, right? Like, yeah, a- they were like the house band, a full on big band, mm-hmm. and then national bands like Buddy Rich would come in, Gene Krupa. Wow. Sauter Finnegan, which is a like a percussion band. And I think actually the the band of that woman who's uh, I think 101 now, she's a drummer. Oh, really? She's uh, awesome. Okay. I mean, they yeah. have videos of her playing like drum souls with yeah, like, yeah. drums way up here. Oh, wow. And she's still playing. Um, she's going into the, I think, Hall Wisconsin Hall of Fame, Whammy Hall of Fame. That's cool. Yeah. But all kinds of big bands. Um, Rosemary Clooney, D- Doris Day, they all oh, went wow. there. Okay. And Grandma Jean was right there in the front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he taught you then, and then you taught me. I can remember you getting my first... I messed around with your drums when when Mm -hmm. I was real little. But you got me my first snare drum, I think, in like fifth grade, I want to say, for Christmas in Sun City. Yeah. 
It was, I remember it was a silver Rogers, I think. Yep, it was Rogers, right. And it had one of those, you don't even see these anymore, but it had one of those black heads on it. Yes, yes, yes. Because I had them on the Rototoms. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we got that. I got that, just the snare. And then you taught me, the way you taught me was you didn't really do, I remember you saying, and I've used this now when I teach, is I teach the kids the rudiments, but I don't make them do right, them right. over. Because you just, they you lose interest. Exactly. You taught me them, and then you're like, okay, now let's play an actual beat. Mm-hmm. But I remember you teaching me how to do... Um, hi-hat and snare first only. So just concentrate on doing one, two, three, four with your right and, and then with the snare without picking up, you know, your hi-hat when you hit the snare. And then I remember you bringing in the bass drum, but what you did was you would come over to my kick. I remember going over to a friend's house, Austin's house. Oh, okay. And we were practicing for our like eighth grade talent show right. that I talked about in the last episode, trying to play these Nirvana songs. And I didn't even know really how to play bass drum yet because I was, so, you know, just starting and I remember you like kneeling down by my kick drum and like hitting the kick drum for me, you know, when, <laughs> and like showing me this is how you do it, you know? <laughs> right. It's just so funny that that's, that's how you start. You just, the, the hi hat and snare. Well, when I was watching that Taylor Hawkins video, yeah, I mean, that's how I teach now. Same thing. Start off with the hi hat yeah, yeah. because that's one, two, three, four, and everything breaks down from there. Right. And I think that's kind of universal now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Real quick, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, you've told me a bunch of bands that you, you talked a little bit about it, but in suds, weren't there like a bunch of pretty well-known bands you opened for and toured? With? Oh yeah. Huey Lewis is one of them, wasn't it? Yeah. They, they were actually called Clover at the time. They had just recorded with Elvis Costello okay. in Europe and they came over and we played one job with them in Madison. Uh-huh. The next day we were supposed to go to the Palms and play another job, but it snowed so bad we didn't do that. We opened for Atlanta Rhythm Section, Cheap Trick, Sticks. Yeah. Um, a lot. I just heard Dennis. Head East. I mean, we're. I was just listening to an interview this afternoon. Dennis DeYoung. Oh, yeah. Has a new album coming out. Mm hmm. And then um, I also heard, speaking of Yes, that they just canceled their Cruise to the Edge <laughs> cruise for the coronavirus. When I was reading that thing about Head East, they were actually on tour on one of those rock legend cruises. Yeah. And that was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, I think those cruises are going to be done for a while. Yeah, I think so too. All right, so let's, I want to play you what Mike and I have done so far with the song and okay. kind of get your reaction. And then Mike and I will kind of reconvene and eventually we'll get to a finished song. But this is this is fun. This is Sounds awesome. cool. All right, so we just listened to Mike and I's take on that Fastback song, which is nothing like the original. But nope. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what did you think? I really liked it and I can see the progression of you two, you know, um, listening to the podcast and then knowing, I mean, going from when we were at the uh, Rochester house and you guys playing in the basement. And Mike was coming up and asking mom if he could have something out of the freezer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mrs. Haynes, can I uh, can I eat this? Can I have my Swanson yeah. meatloaf? <laughs> oh, that's right. He's to bring over the frozen dinners and put them in our freezer. But I'm sure he's asked, I'm sure he asked for food too. Or is is someone going to eat this apple? <laughs> Mike has said that a million times. Are you going to eat this? <laughs> but yeah, and then listening to the last podcast where the way you like broke up everything on like mm. that Beastie Boys thing. Yeah, and then listening to this, like my first impression was that Sting. Uh, desert rose and i could hear like the odd i was thinking man you could go to cairo and this would be a number one song in cairo do you hear that mike my dad's comparing you to sting you better tell your wife (laughs) 
Needs to practice some tantric. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like it. I like the openness. Yeah. You know, I grew up where everything was like a groove and everything. Yeah, yeah. And now it's kind of like a wide open groove. You can play anything. Yeah, yeah. And we're still going to put some more stuff on it. And right, not, right. And some more acoustic style drums on it. But I got really inspired. I was listening to, there was this record label called Trojan back in the 70s. That was a reggae dub label. Oh, okay. And Glenn would listen to it all day long because Glenn, our bass player from Confusion, was really into reggae. So I remember driving in his Toyota truck and he would have that all. It was like a box set of everything they ever put out. It was probably like seven CDs or something. And it was this rare, I think it was a Kingston Jamaican sure. you know, label. And mm-hmm. it was all this old dub that is not popular, but it was just cool stuff like that. And that's what I, I got inspired by that. And that's kind of... You would never listen to that original Fastback song and say, hey, that's a reggae song, but... Well, it's cool, you know, because of the vocals. I always liked the vocals on that, the Fastback thing, mm-hmm. and now you can just layer them in anywhere, and they're, yeah. they're just sound things, you know? Yeah, and that bass line actually is something that Tim did for me. I think it's from 2015. I dug it up from an old hard drive, and it just worked. So I was like, okay, yeah, this works. So super fun. All right, so um, we have the drum kit set up here. So what we're going to do is shut off these mics, and then I'm going to do some stuff, and pretty soon you guys will hear the finished song. So cool. thanks for coming over, dude. I appreciate it. This was fun. Not a problem. Anytime. Orange County, anytime. All right.
wanna be free. They keep pulling me.